You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sexy Irish Sean and Taco Bell Rick. How are you guys doing? <laughs> Yo quiero Taco Bell. On this episode, we wanted to talk about something that I encountered in our crowdfunding nerds community that I thought should really be addressed. If you have a product that you want to take to Kickstarter, it's your job to overcome the objection that I will raise in the marketing segment of this podcast. So, uh, but for now, uh, let's dive into news first. And now it's time for nerd news. A few episodes back, well, quite a few, uh, we talked about, I believe it's, is it Brian Sanderson? Brandon Sanderson. Brandon Sanderson and his like multi-million, $41 million four book deal on Kickstarter that was like a phenomenon. No read or seen. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mystery books. People the- rage if it's blind pages. Yeah. And back then I was like, who would spend this amount of money for a book? <laughs> or well, four books, I guess. And I found a book on Kickstarter that just came out that I really want to buy. But it's called 50 Years of Text Games from Oregon Trail to AI Dungeon. And this oh, book no. looks crazy cool. And I was always saying how, like, you know, why why would someone spend so much money on a book? Well, I guess if you're really into it, you will find a book that you will want to... Uh, <laughs> pay for yeah 50 years i am a big text game fan i love text games because you can play them like they they have like they take up no space on your computer you can play them for hours you use your imagination imagination what's up if you have a really really bad internet connection you could play these online text games called muds and they don't take up much uh bandwidth you know because people still have that problem out here in the in the world but um yeah 50 years of text games so it's it looks really cool um this author actually he has a phd in uh storytelling is that is that what it is let me find him real quick i know you can get a phd in that he's got oh he's got phd in interactive storytelling and he's done three other crowdfunding packages a couple he did one on indiegogo and he did a couple previous previously on kickstarter but so what he offers is for 25 dollars, you get the pdf and the kindle format which is nice so you can read you know the the text on the Kindle, but also the PDF is really cool because he has interactive maps. Um, I really like the book because he goes into details. He doesn't just talk about the game. He actually like brings in like some code from the games. He brings in uh, maps from certain games, interviews. So it's a really in-depth. It'd be really cool if he made a documentary of this. But uh, $25 gets you the digital. $45 gets you the soft cover. And $85 gets the hard cover. And I think I'm going to go for the hard cover. But what about the collector's edition? Uh, well, maybe I might go beyond. But uh, Julie, if you're listening, I'm not buying anything. Really, I promise. Not really. Fingers crossed. Buy my back. Sorry, you didn't hear that. <laughs> I mean, this is the type of product that I would just like to have on my shelf. You yeah. Know, but you could pay two grand for a commission, and they could go over text-based game of your choice. He'll he'll write a chapter on the digital game of your choice. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And also, um, I believe it's he's two days in as of this recording. And he's already raised one hundred twenty-seven thousand dollars. So apparently, there is a a niche for this. There is still people out there who love text adventure games and the history and nostalgia of them. I'm I'm a big fan myself. I've been working on a 
online adventure game for about six months now. I'm still not even close to being done, but uh, yeah, I really love text adventures. It's really interesting. You know what's what's curious is that there are 1,300 backers, but there are only 29 comments, like total of 29 comments. And I wonder why that is. Maybe people that like to read don't like to write. I was um, but say that. We only like to read. <laughs> yeah. We, we do short sentences like go north inventory those are our command lines we use <laughs> press a s d or f it is pretty cool i mean this is such a little niche that i mean it's it's a perfect project for kickstarter i wonder how they would actually market this you know the the guy that created it uh aaron reed he's you know he has multiple projects that he's created um they are i guess one is a role-playing game we've got a novel it was his first project here. He's actually backed a lot of games. So this guy is clearly a, a, a board gamer, maybe an RPG type of dude. But I'm um, I'm definitely gonna be gonna be uh, fooling yeah, around. Yeah, I'm real curious about it. his marketing too. Um, but he does, you know, he's got three past uh, crowdfunding uh, events on his belt, <clears throat> all successful, all completed. Um, so I'm assuming he's got a pretty good mailing list from those and a good following and community from those. But yeah, it's interesting to see how he would market that. I found it just by looking at, <clears throat> I read a lot of news feeds and it came up on one of my news feeds, one of my nerdier news feeds. So he's, he's marketing to some of the bigger people because it's popping up. In fact, I think he's got them listed. Let me see real quick. I thought I saw a list of some of his uh, major marketing. No, oh, here's, here's something I, I like to discuss real quick. Um, I don't, cause I haven't really seen it in, board game ones but if you scroll mm -hmm. down towards like towards the bottom ish before he, his lovely face picture about him he's got a budget like uh what do you call it graph thing and i've noticed there's quite a few other ones now doing this do you think this is something that's gonna become like mainstay in kickstarter where you have like a little budget graph to show where all your money's going or i haven't seen it before on like board game ones but all these bigger other ones i'm seeing it keeps popping up now it's like a, a new thing that i've seen yeah, I do think that that is helpful. You know, there, there are people that want to know this type of information on Kickstarter. I think that the you can't lose sight of the way that people buy, which is they buy emotionally, but they'll use things like this to justify an emotional purchase with logic. So every board gamer that is like, oh, I better get this before I miss out. You know, I better get the Kickstarter version of Everdell because surely it's not going to come back four years later for everything at half price, which happened. Uh, one of my favorite games, but I, I think uh, they, they, anyway. So, yeah, it looks like he is going after the retro niche. I did find some of his major news articles showing up and uh, like he's on NintendoLife.com, which is a retro gaming uh, news site. He's on yeah. Boing Boing. He's on Retro Gardens. So those are big. Plus, he's got a pretty big Reddit following um, as well. So it looks like, yeah, he's just going after the the retro the retro niche, I guess, is what, it, what we call it these days. And Yeah. Uh, so when, when just go back to this budget thing. When he says that 64% is devoted to printing, well, what happens if you buy the PDF? So that means 64% 60, of your pledge is actually going to cover his printing costs. You know, that's how I, I interpret that. So I also I, don't see the... Negative. Yeah, I also don't see the profit spot. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Where's, where's the, the profit, profit budget? Uh, it's like he's not making anything. 
he's got like he's got misc and other rewards but what's in that like, where's your marketing fees yeah <laughs> but this isn't the also, only one i've seen his, this graph. it bugs me that his 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 numbers are out are off out of order it's like printing is 64 percent, shipping is 15 percent, fulfillment two percent miscellaneous seven it's like wait the seven and oh and platform fees 10 percent. you're supposed to put 15 then 10 then seven then two and two i don't know but i i do think that printing yeah it is if you if you really drill deep into this budget it is not correct unless he <laughs> plans on making nothing but i'm sure that you know he's going to be paying himself back for the time invested and, and maybe he's a printing company way. or yeah i guess maybe he's a printer but yeah i, I think that the this chart overall is a good thing i don't think you're going to get most people diving or drilling deeply into it i think that Again, going back to that emotional decision, people have already made the decision to buy, but they're looking for reasons to justify it, maybe to their girlfriends. <laughs> and this budget is a great way to give somebody something logical to chew on, you know? So I think that's actually I don't know. pretty smart. Like I said, I, I do see it appearing now on more Kickstarters. For more, I think for a more engineered technical Kickstarter, I think that makes sense for people who are more analytical, but for a you know, book... Also, also under it is another big banner that says we print with Print Ninja. I have no idea who Print Ninja is, and I don't care. <laughs> I just want my book. <laughs> so I was poking around Steam, and I realized on the Tabletop Simulator community page that you have within Steam is that there is a artwork section, and there's also a discussions section. So I obviously knew about the discussions. But the, the artwork was interesting because I was thinking, well, this could, could potentially be used as a space for people to market their board games organically. So the idea is to upload the box art of your game uh, with a link to your landing page and stick it up there on Tabletop Simulator for a, the community to see. Later, you can go inside discussion on discussions page trying to talk about your game. There's also a video section. So if you upload your videos to YouTube, you can integrate YouTube with Steam, and then you can link your video to this tab within the Tabletop Simulator section of the community. And that would be a nice way to promote your game as well organically is linking your YouTube videos. So it could be a Kickstarter video. It could be a video ad you created. So I think this is a, a neat space that more marketers should be utilizing to promote their games because look if you've got tabletop simulator you're play testing it with your community why not also try to promote it to everyone else who's doing the exact same thing on steam yeah that's really awesome and uh for the tabletop simulator artwork so if you created art for this game quote unquote which is tabletop simulator you can you can share and there's uh i i wonder i mean i guess it's like a community thing but you can not only give your artwork a title and upload it but you can add a description that is pretty large you can use this space to describe your artwork or what was involved in making it and i think that you may get some traction here because it looks like artwork can get upvoted you know just 10 10 thumbs up is going to give you a um like a most popular for the week and yeah, especially if you direct your community there and tell your community to give it a thumbs up, then you know, you're just going to be trending there for a while. So I think it's definitely something people could utilize. I think that's an excellent idea. Yeah, from a marketing perspective, this is like pure gold. In fact, I think we talked about in last week's episode about how Steam is becoming more of a 
marketing platform as opposed to, you know, just to, you know, play games. And this is a good example of that where now you can, there's another way you can actually advertise your game on Steam. And uh, this is a cost free advertising where you just, you know, post your, your artwork and you can share it. And of course, you know, linking it to YouTube can get people to, you know, to look at your YouTube channel and subscribe to that. And of course, you can keep following up and, you know, I think it's a really, really good uh, opportunity. But yeah, I, th- I think that the ability to upload videos are pretty awesome here. I mean, most projects, most board game projects are going to have an awesome video. And I think that these are pretty cool. And you don't need to make a super duper professional video. You can actually upload like an in-progress game if, you know, and that sort of thing. I think that's kind of cool. Yeah, there's a, vi- there's a video here that, it's popular this past week that's 500 upvotes so wow yeah so people are looking at this it's not completely empty and i suppose the more people who post here and if people come come to realize that this is a space to like find new games or upcoming games then you might see this grow over time to a very vibrant place it's definitely a little hidden gem and you know really we're not necessarily looking for one thing that will generate hundreds of millions of dollars in sales we're looking, you know, exaggeration. Hyperbole is exaggeration for effect. And that's what I did there. Um, we're looking for death by a thousand cuts. You want in marketing, you know, you've got your big um, things like Facebook ads, going to a convention, other things like that. But something like this is useful and worth just worth trying. Um, so you want to try and see what works and that sort of thing. And so obviously, you know, getting seen by people. And so I'm curious, really curious, if you have a mod on Tabletop Simulator, that's where I think it would be extremely useful. So for Deliverance, uh, because we do, I, I'd love to, uh, to do this. And then the way I would track it is I would look and see how many people either favorited my game or, you know, on the Tabletop Simulator mod or maybe um, like subscribe to it. So, and if that number spikes up, you know, we had, we have just over, I want to say like 2,200 subscribers. And if we, if I share and then it, it ticks up in a meaningful way, that could be, that could be pretty awesome. I mean, those are, those are either people that could end up back in the game. They could be future backers, could lay the groundwork for marketing in the future when they see the game at a convention or, you know, so many different, different things. But I think that this is valuable. And then within Tabletop Simulator, are you able to create a, I know you can have like iPads and things. Are you able to create like a website where people can submit their email within the actual simulators so the way that i did it was i actually wrote text on my game that you can subscribe to i wrote um messages that basically say join our discord and uh, you know because discord is quite popular for people that play tabletop simulator but i do know that you can you could even put a qr code because uh, most people are playing on a desktop so their phone right be next to them and then if they just you know scan the code that's true on, on the screen true. then you, might, you can direct them to your landing page. That's something you might want to think about doing as well. But yeah, sure. I think the workshop works on the similar system of like upvotes or downloads. So if you've got your community, if you have an email list, you can direct your community to install the mod or install your, it's called, it's called a workshop, install the, the game. Then you might find people finding, you might, you might have people finding it organically on Steam, which could be very valuable. You can also customize your personal profile and you can there's a section where you can feature something and one of the, one of the things that you can feature is artwork so once you upload this artwork you can feature it on your personal profile where you can also include a link uh, in your bio to your landing page and 
also feature your artwork of your game there. So if you know if you're on the, a discussion board and someone says, oh, who is this person?" They click onto you. They then will be able to see your landing page and then your artwork as well. So the thing that I wanted to share about it was related to a just some activity in our crowdfunding nerds community on Facebook. We had somebody ask about. Actually, it was Christopher Bowden. He posted about a how to play video that he just created for his game. And he just shared it with his small circles. He called them very small circles. I think that he's talking about his family and friends and he's asking, you know, what, and, and, you know, of course, if he does have any community for his game, I'm sure he shared it with those folks. He asked about, you know, what appropriate ways were to share the video without appearing spammy or desperate for backers and that sort of thing. And we had a, a fair number of people respond and, you know, I thought, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll just say, you know, a two liner because I'm in a rush. So I, I shared, you know, the best places to share in your own community with your own fans. And that's the way I feel about a lot of videos. In fact, I was talking to Ori Kagan, who does a lot of videos alongside David Diaz with Mesa Game Lab. And, um, the, he, you know, we were, we had a meeting yesterday and we were talking about you know, how to leverage video content that is made professionally because that stuff's kind of expensive or it's very time consuming if you do it yourself. And, you know, I, I said the number one way to, to share this is with your own fans. You want to drive interest. You want to drive people to your communities and your email list and that sort of thing. But it's so important to actually warm them up and get them really excited. And the best ways to do that are with video content for the game. And I think that uh, a how to play video would work beautifully to the fans that you've built. And, you know, he said, you know, uh, Chris responded to me, um, it, you know, it was a very uh, good response with a genuine concern that I think a lot of people listening to this podcast have, which is, you know, that my response that I should share, you should share these types of things with your community that it makes sense. But, you know, what about the people that don't have you know, fans in their communities. And he said that he says the issue that he runs into is just getting people to care about his project. And he said, I don't think they don't care for lack of interest, but you know, there are just a thousands of projects out there and there are so many things vying for attention. And so his hardcore fans are his friends and family. And it's, um, he was kind of his conclusion was that the only way to really grow is to demo at conventions and put money into ads. And that's, I think that's more of a, um, I don't want to say a cop-out answer. It is a good answer. It's like commonly understood that you need to run ads on Facebook and go to conventions in order to drum up interest and whatnot. But I think that the way that it's utilized here is very common and it's a very common sentiment, but it's, I guess it's, missing context. And I don't, so I, I personally built an email list to 1100 people without spending money on ads. And I spent $21 to try something and it was, you know, we had some fun and I got like eight fans or something, uh, or eight new fans. I don't know. But, um, the but dominantly I built through local conventions and other, other methods, you know, posting on my own social media and that kind of thing. But, you know, you, you don't need conventions and uh, money in Facebook ads to generate interest for your game. And I wanted to share with 
our podcast listeners that there is an argument that you have to overcome with any product sale and you are selling a product. If you're going to be a publisher, self-publish a game or, or whatever, you, you have a product that you, and, and you have an objection that I will make to you right now. And marketing is how you overcome this objection. So here it is. Get ready. The objection is that nobody wants your stuff. So your job is to prove that comment wrong and do it in an actionable way that, that demonstrates that that is an incorrect conclusion. You know, you'll have distributors say, you know, why would I buy, you know, a hundred of your game when I could just buy a hundred more ticket to rides? Cause I know those are going to sell. Right. And so you have to gather fans and make sales and all of that in order to prove these, uh, that statement incorrect. And there are a lot of ways to do that, but it's your job to do it. And if you don't, then if you don't disprove, you know, that, that statement, then I mean, your, your game probably needs improvement or there, there could be uh, one of a couple of other things going on. So what I find is that like 97% of the products that we look at for, you know, that uh, board games and other things that come across our desk for marketing when they don't have an email list or a community or when it's very small or maybe just built from manually entered emails of their mom, dad, friends, and, you know, random business cards that are on their desk. The, the reason that they don't have one of these email lists often boils down to one of three things. Either they're not sharing much about their game. Uh, maybe they don't have a way to, you know, for people to get more information, but it's actually a bonus that I, you know, would be a fourth thing. In fact, on that point, there was a Facebook post that I saw recently. What was a Facebook ad for a game? It looked like an interesting game. It was like a kind of, kind of like a, uh, an LCG or trading card game of some sort that was for two to three players that looked really interesting. And I wanted more information on it because I'm always on the lookout for really great card games. You know, if they're fantasy and, and awesome, I'm, I'm generally interested. So because I've played a lot of collectible card games in the past, you know, and they have a special place in my heart. So I clicked on the ad and it brought me to a Kickstarter page and I went ahead and followed the Kickstarter because it seemed like it was interesting. And then I, I, I looked everywhere I could. I, I Googled the name. I put it in quotations. I, I searched it. I looked everywhere. I could not find any information about this. And I went back to the original ad and I commented asking, is there a place I can find more information? And their response was, you know, we're super excited that you're, you know, that you're excited and asking questions but there is no place that you can get more information. And, you know, that was the, you know, the, in a nutshell, that was our conversation. And that was kind of a disappointment to me because first of all, I was interested and I'm sure that over the next week, I'm going to forget that that thing exists. And I may or may not see a push notification that comes out in three months or whatever, when they launch on Kickstarter. But at the time I was interested, they failed to give me a place to actually go look at it. And so that's, you know, if you're sharing it, there's no place that you can actually go capture an email or you, you, you can't direct people to a Facebook community. That's really a waste of ad spend, first of all. And second of all, you know, that's why this, this company may come to us one day with no email list or a very small email list 
So what you're basically saying, it's not necessarily the product. It could just be your funnel isn't optimized to grow community. So when people are interested, legitimately interested, they're just falling away because there's no way for the mud, so to speak, to stick to the wall. Yes, that's exactly correct. You know, you're saying that you grew your, you grew your list, Andrew, to a thousand people without spending money. But there was some financial investment, right? Because you obviously had to spend money. I certainly spent gas, but it was affordable back then. (laughs) But even art, you know, I think you have to have a little bit of upfront cost to make your game look presentable. So people at least be, oh, this looks interesting. You also talked about, I think uh, two episodes ago, about going to conventions. You obviously have to pay for that. You have to pay for banners and for t-shirts. So there was a little bit of upfront cost. So it wasn't 100% or like no no money upfront, but yeah, it was in a sense, it was or- organic or mostly organic as much as it could be. Right. I'm curious to know how many hours you think you've put in for for that, for this free free marketing. <laughs> yeah, that is definitely not free, is it? It's the sweat that you that you spend. I mean, because I, I did a couple of conventions with you and those were, you know, full days right there. And then, of course, all of your, you know, yep. stuff you put post and do and interact with on your online social media accounts and whatnot. That's a lot of work. Right. Yeah, no, that's, those are good points. Both, both of you had really great points. So um, the first thing is that we did, so to address uh, Rick, well, both of them are, are related, but conventions, yes, definitely. They cost some money. So you got to get a ticket. I, I never had a booth, in, you know, until I was ready to actually go for it. I, I never had a booth. I would just go local. I would find either an unpub or, you know, some people recognize the name Protospiel events their you know games or conventions in essence micro conventions that are all about unfinished unpublished games and playtesting them and offering feedback and that sort of thing so i found events like that i went to local board game stores and built relationships that way um local conventions when they were around and i did a couple of uh years at kingdom con in particular was one that rick and i attended for, I think, a couple of years in a row. The first conventions that I ever attended, I had a paper prototype, like pens and paper and, you know, cardboard squares that I bought for 10 bucks on Amazon. Like basically a really, really low quality prototype with minis that I stole from my copy of War of the Ring and to be the angels and demons and whatnot. And so there definitely is a cost just simply to exposing the game, you know, depending on how fine detail you want to get down to it, like just driving to local game stores, obviously it costs you gas and that sort of thing. Probably the soda that you buy there or whatever. Overall, you know, if I were to come up with a number, I would say I spent probably far less than a thousand dollars on all of those things over that first year. The you know, the bulk of the cost would be like the tickets and the gas to get there. But um, where you really get you know like when you go to a convention that costs a lot it's requires a plane ticket and a hotel room those are the things that really get you speaking of uh, hotel rooms real quick just to give you guys uh an inkling of how crazy some of these conventions are sanio comic-con international is coming up next month and i have my Mm -hmm. passes for it but however uh the local hotels have posted their rates the ones that still have rooms left a couple of them are running two thousand plus two thousand plus a night like twenty one hundred dollars for great. one night. They'll all sell out too. They should have like ten people in one room. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no joke. 
That's nuts. And actually that's the best way to, to cut down on your convention costs is to share with, you know, share one room between two, three, four people. Yeah. It immediately makes everything cheaper. And another um, example, just rough it be, out, sleep on the floor. There's, there's no way a, a normal bloke like us can afford a booth at Comic-Con or get in it. Um, one of my groups and organizations has been trying to get in for the last, they've been on a waiting list for the last six years, but a, an option, um, is that like, for example, Comic-Con has a, a board game gaming room and you could just sort mm-hmm. of bring your game with you and play in there and say, Hey guys, you want, you know, want to play a new game? So there's always a lot of cost cutting options. You can do at a convention. You don't have to have that, that booth. I know we talked about this last week. Yeah. There's ways you can save and get around those costs. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of a lot of what I did. It's definitely what you want to do is find an option that allows you to get in there with your game. And then it's up to you to find people, you know, for me, I would meet people, play a game with them, whatever they wanted to play. And then I would suggest deliverance. And, um, I never had people tell me, no, sometimes I could tell people like had to go or whatever. And, you know, I, I would, uh, you know, I remember SCON is a popular one that was just very local to, to my area. And I made a lot of friends there just playing games. And, uh, that really, you know, those inroads helped a lot in local game stores, local areas. Very, it was very, very awesome. So, but, uh, but yeah, definitely there are costs just to, you know, to living and, and doing anything, I guess. But really when I'm talking about major conventions, like the costs to major conventions would be hotel and airfare. So that's why I, in particular, local conventions would be very helpful. And uh, you can do visual aids. I actually did one small banner, which was a, uh, I want to say it's like a two and a half foot tall banner that you can kind of pull up that, that rolls away into this little, thing that stands it's meant to stand on top of a table so that was i want to say like 85 dollars. It was very useful for for you know showing people that i had a thing and it didn't even have like finished super finished art on it i had two characters uh that were done like two art art you know when i had art it was a uh, two characters and a quick little splash of paint behind them so uh it was very <laughs> very uh low you could probably auction it now yeah i probably (laughs) could i guess slap a signature on it yeah (laughs) i guess you know nothing is truly free but i would say that if you're not able to do that then you probably shouldn't go down this road when i started uh actually paying my artist full-time this was in i want to say 2019 is when i started with my artist and like January, 2019. So everything before that I started in like 2017 and was private for about a year. Then I started going public in 2018 with, you know, at events and things like that. And I built my email list probably to about 400, um, just privately, you know, with my game under my arm, you know, it was in a pandemic legacy season one box because I finished that. And it was a legacy game that I'll never play again. So I just dumped all the components and had a really sweet box with a plastic insert to, to store the cards. Um, and that's what I did. And I built a lot of fans and people were very interested in the topic and other things. And there are, we've kind of gone over organic marketing in Facebook groups and things with that, but it's totally possible with a paper prototype. And I think that, you know, people shouldn't be neglecting it. And, and so anyway, that's, 
I guess how I would uh, counter that. Yeah. So the original question was how to get your stuff seen on social media, particularly, right? Yeah. You know, and in 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 regard to that, you know, when we talk about building an email list, or you know, that it's too hard or has not been working and that kind of thing. I've been, I was kind of going over before we tangented a little bit, I was going over the, uh, you know, most common reasons that people uh, fail to build an email list or, or a community of any significant size. Honestly, significant sizes, a hundred people or more is excellent. I mean, that's, that's excellent. If you're getting engagement there, a hundred interested people to start with is going to be fantastic. I went from 1,100 emails to 4,400 emails before we actually launched on Kickstarter. So it's, um, you know, when I started spending money on ads, the, the numbers go up a lot. But those original 1,100 made about the same amount of money as the other, whatever it was, 3,300 more that we added. They were about the same amount of money that came from each of them, which was really surprising. So um, anyway, kind of... To continue on with this, yeah, and, and that's really just it goes to show investing into people hmm. is going it pays dividends, you know. And um, so the um, the next thing that causes people to feel like, hey, my my effort is not really working, and you know my marketing's not really working, so I guess I just have to pay money to ads, uh, is that they're sharing it with the wrong audience. A lot of the time, I you know with deliverance, I would. I would share and, you know, people would like have pentagram t-shirts and um, like hail Satan. And then I would come up and be like, can I tell you about this Christian game called deliverance? And they're like, I'm not that interested. It's, it's actually funny because I find that uh, Satanists are, are quite interested in the game, which I was shocked about, but you know, you, you've got people, plenty of people out there are not interested in that theme. And I found all the places that I could go for people that just were not interested. You need to go to places that where people are really, really interested. But then the third, or well, the, I guess it's the fourth thing that's very common is you're making mistakes with your messaging. A lot of the time people will use things like this game is a two to four player tableau building game with deck building mechanics. It's like, I don't know what, I mean, you just described eight games that I can think of off the top of my head. And I don't know what the heck your game is. Is it a zombie apocalypse game? Is it like, you know, long or is it short? Is it, you know? Yeah. It's kind of like, this is my video game, but I, I coded it using C plus plus and the unity engines. Like, okay, that doesn't tell me anything about your game. It doesn't tell me why I should, should play your game. <laughs> the, the opposite is also true. I see ads like, this is a fun game. Okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> Liar. You know? But yeah, I, I think it's, it's you know, the, a lot of the time people tend to get focused on what they think is cool about their product. But, you know, and I, I did that too. I think everybody's guilty of that. You know, you start out with what you think is cool and then you figure out if others feel the same way. I was very surprised. I remember, you know, I was sitting down with Sam Healy when he was still with the Dice Tower and we were, we were playing Deliverance. And, uh, you know, I asked him what he liked about it. And he said, I like how all my actions that I can do are on this card right here in front of me. And, you know, I have our, our angels each have kind of their some of. So ev- at the time, everybody had a move action that was common, a basic attack that was common and a prey action that was common. And then they had like two custom skills and um 
I made that change right before I went to, I think it was Dice Tower, uh, Dice Tower West, the first one they did. And um, he, him saying that made me realize I could make this even more unique. I don't have to have the, you know, my attack was called quote unquote basic attack. I changed every single character's attack to a very highly thematic, cool thing. The angel that was all about lightning has clash, which moves bad guys around. And then the angel that's all about fire has an attack that damages everybody around him. And it, you know, that's the basic attack now. And it, it made it, it really leaned into what other people thought was cool about the game. And I think that that's really important. You, you, you know, part of just going and exposing the game to other people is hearing about what they think is cool and leaning into that and trying to find the fun as they, as they call it. But you know, if all, if push comes to shove and none of those things, you know, you change all those things and you're very, you know, you're hard, you're hardcore about trying to fix it. Maybe it's the art needs improvement. Maybe the product itself needs improvement. You know, in some cases, you know, people that go to Kickstarter might not be interested in the type of game that you have. We share on a pretty regular basis, like the party game is generally not Kickstarter material. In every, every once in a while, you'll get a game like Joking Hazard or Trial by Trolley or, you know, games like that or Unstable Unicorns that can be, that can have like some serious party elements that go kind of viral. Exploding Kittens is not a party game per se, but, you know, it, it if you have a campaign that people think is cute and hilarious and, and that kind of thing, you really can do well. But in general, you know, the wrong audience, like if your game is not meant for Kickstarter, you know, gamers, then that that's where you can go wrong too. Basically, you know, the the whole the whole idea is that business is hard and if you, you know, the business side of things is what publishers do, and as a designer, you don't have to do that. If you want, you can just pitch your game to a publisher and if the game is awesome, the publisher will will, you know, and it's a fit for what it is that they offer, the publisher will jump on it. And, you know, you just you need to put that sweat into you know, demo your game to one person at a time or whatever it takes to get one email address a week or, you know, eventually an email address a day and board game geek member or a discord member or, or whatever, you know, subscribers to, to actually like hear about your thing. But it's, you know, that, that adage of the snowball, you have to pack a snowball and work on it and then start you start rolling it down a mountain to make an avalanche, right? You have to put a lot of time into that dumb little snowball and rolling it and getting it bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, it's a lot of manual work before it actually rolls on its own, you know? And that's the same thing with a, with a game. You have just listened to Crowdfunding Nerds, episode number 78. For more episodes, please send a self-addressed stamped envelope to P.O. Box 11111. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> If anyone can find the episode where Andrew's daughter says that she loves him, please tell us and send it in the, the community because I didn't timestamp it, but it would be really great to just know where that is. <laughs> and that's the end of this week's episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to listen to other ones, visit us at our website at crowdfundingnerds.com. 
And if you need some extra help for your kickstarting project, click on that little hire us button and we will help you out. And if you have any additional questions or concerns regarding your crowdfunding board game, visit us on Facebook at crowdfunding nerds community. We have a very large community there that will answer all your lovely little questions. And also we have a lot of fun there as well. And until then we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy.